we're continuing today in this study in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus really starts out recruiting his disciples by saying, come follow me, and I will make you, I will change you. The last couple weeks, we heard from one of my friends, Ron Merrill, on this idea of follow me, and today, we pick up on that, and we're gonna call this part of the study, Be Like Me, because as we follow Jesus, we become more like Jesus, and then Jesus uses us to recruit other people to become more like Jesus. So be like me kind of has two dimensions. First, as a follower of Jesus, you should be coming a little bit more like Jesus, not overnight, this isn't some perfect, you have to measure up thing, but as you just obey and follow, just like you're doing today, you look in the mirror and as time passes, you will start to be more like Jesus. I'm not saying you'll grow a beard and have sandals on your feet per se, but your character, your outlook in the world, and then, as you're following him and becoming like him, you will in time become someone who says to others, hey, come follow me. Follow me in as much as I'm following Jesus. I don't have it all figured out, but wherever I've done what Jesus says, it's worked for me, so I wanna help you do the same. Well, I hope you've been enjoying this winter weather. Mel grew up in Ohio, I grew up in Michigan, so we've always felt like if it's gonna be cold, it might as well snow, because I think it's beautiful, I love driving in it, I'm weird like that. Here's me and Evie the other day making a snowman. Now, this was a day when it was terrible packing snow. I don't know if it was too cold or what, but the snow was just like desert sand. So we actually grabbed these big ice blocks from the plow trucks, and I hauled them out of the road to make the body parts of our little snowman, and we had a blast making that snowman. I love the snow, it's beautiful. Uh, but it's no fun if your heater stops working at your house. And that happened to us about a month ago. Uh, I was here working, and Mel called, and she said, John, the house is getting really cold. There's just no hot air coming out of the vents. Well, we called uh, this local heating repair company, and it was so cool because when the technician showed up, some of you guys will know him. This is Josh. Josh is uh, part of our church family here. He's an awesome follower of Jesus. He's just a guy who loves the Lord so much, and he just obeys one step at a time, one day at a time. Well, of course, Josh went down to our basement where our heat handler is, and I want you to imagine what it would have been like if we had called the expert, and he showed up, and then, of course, they get out their screwdriver to pull off that metal panel that's over the big air handler, and what if I had been like, ah, I, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad you're here. I, 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 I believe that you know how to fix this, but... I kind of like that panel right there. I'm a little nervous that if you move that, you might break it. I mean, obviously that would be ridiculous of me to do, but isn't that kind of what we do with God in our lives? We're like, oh yeah, God, I believe you for like the biggest things. I mean, that I'm gonna die and go to heaven, I believe you, uh, but oh, you wanna take that panel off my marriage? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of like that panel there. I don't really wanna reveal everything that's broken inside of there. I wanna ask you this, where has the heat gone out in your life? Where is it that there's some pain point in your life? And maybe it is in your marriage, the heat is out literally, you know? It's just like, there ain't nothing here anymore. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your emotions. Maybe it's actually in your love for the Lord himself. It's become, maybe following him for you has become more of a chore than a delight. Where is it for you that the heat has gone out? Where is it for you that you're facing some kind of problem that you don't know how to solve? And 
here's the question that we're gonna let the word of God answer today. How can you see Jesus solve that area in your life where the heat has gone out? Whatever need you have, whatever unmet desire you have, whatever problem you're facing, how can you experience Jesus in that area? How can you move from being a person who believes in God to a person who experiences God, a person who sees God do miracles, who sees God do transformation, and who sees God work. I think we've all met those Christians who are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they're just unpleasant to be around, and they're, I'm not, believe me, I don't have a certain person in mind here, okay, but sometimes I'm that person probably, we can be that person where it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm all about Jesus, but it's just not pleasant to be in their presence versus those people who you have an interaction with them and afterwards you're kind of like, wow, like maybe that's what it was like to be in Jesus' presence. Like that was just, wow. You know, how do we become more and more those kind of Christians, those kind of people? Well, as always, we're gonna look into the word of God to answer our questions in life. And we're continuing our study in Mark chapter one. We're gonna look at the moment where Jesus recruits his first two disciples, Simon, who would change his name to Peter. And you know Peter, if you're familiar at all with the New Testament. Uh, I mean, Peter, there's millions of people named after him today. He wrote two books of the Bible, first and second Peter. Uh, incredibly influential follower of Jesus. But Jesus is gonna walk up to Peter probably when Peter's a teenager. And Peter's working at the family trade of being a fisherman. It's gonna be this moment where Peter's life, it has this fork in the road and he has to decide, will he follow Jesus or not? And all the miracles that Peter experienced, the transformation that happened in him and through him and around him, all resulted from a choice that he made. I mean, yes, God did the work, but Peter had to choose, will I follow Jesus? So I'm gonna take you into that moment in just a minute. But before we do, I wanna take you to the end of Peter's life, when Peter's in his 60s. And of course, in that culture, without any kind of medical care or any kind of pharmaceuticals like we have today, a person in their 60s was very physically worn out at that time. I know some of you are like, I'm worn out now, <laughs> but that's okay. Others of you are like, no, no, I'm doing great, okay? But Peter would have been with all he had been through physically in his 60s, probably um, arthritic, graying, uh, Peter had lived a difficult life in an agrarian culture and a life of persecution. 30 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Peter's now leading a movement of tens of thousands, at this point probably hundreds of thousands, of followers of Jesus scattered around the ancient Near East. They're politically persecuted, but they're seeing God do miracles and working. And it was that Peter, a wise, less impulsive, refined spiritually by God, but still not perfect man of God, who writes this letter of Second Peter. And I just kinda wanna bookend this by looking at the end of Peter's life, and then we're gonna go back to the moment that changed his life. And here's what he says in Second Peter 1, verse three. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, by the way. Few different translations of this. One of them says, uh, in Christ, we have everything necessary for life and godliness. So when you're like, man, I just don't have what I need for life, or I don't have what I need to be godly, 
the answer is always in Christ. Uh, the NIV puts it this way, God's divine power has given us, has given you as a follower of Jesus everything you need, everything you need you already have in Jesus, everything you need for a godly life. It is like uh, the electricity running through a building, not in Texas, sadly, but in the rest of the country, the electricity is running through the building, but to access it, you've got to plug into the wall, right? You already have the power of God, divine power, for everything you need to do in your life, including the changes that need to happen in you. How do you plug in to that power? It's when you know the knowledge of God, when you know Jesus. Now, at the end of our time, I'll show you where Peter says this again at the end of 2 Peter. He starts and ends it with saying, it's all about knowing him. Now, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're Western, and so we tend to be very book-oriented and knowledge-oriented, and we think, oh, knowing God means having all these facts right, and there's definitely some key facts we've got to have, and we've done message series on that, key beliefs of Christianity, but for Peter, this Greek word gnosis is to experience something. You experience something. God or Jesus, and now just think about this. Peter, this, uh, at this point, kind of wrinkled, wise, old man, leader of God who's been through so much, when he's writing what it is to know Jesus, you think he's talking about a book? Or do you think his mind is going back to that night when Jesus is washing his feet and Judas is sitting next to him and Jesus is washing Judas's feet too? Do you think his mind maybe goes back to that day when he was a teenager and he just thought he was getting up and going to work with his dad and grandpa and this rabbi teacher comes walking down the seashore and Peter's there working on the fishing nets and this rabbi teacher says, come follow me. And it's this moment that changes Peter, changes his life, changes his destiny. That's the story that we find in Mark chapter one, verse 16, as Jesus walked Beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Now, that is Peter. Jesus is going to change Peter so much that it even changes his name, his identity. Jesus sees Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, this time, trades were often passed down in family, so this is probably what their dad did, what their grandpa did. They grew up, we're fishermen. That's what we are. That's what we do. You don't fish, you don't eat. This is how you make a living. This is how you provide for your family. This is who you are. This is who we are as a family. And then Jesus says in verse 17, come follow me. Now, as we dive into this today, I'm gonna unpack some of the Greek words under this. But Jesus, Peter knows in this moment, this isn't, hey, let's go on a picnic. This is leave your entire way of life and learn from me. And I'm gonna show you in our time today where Jesus gives this invitation to someone else and they say, man, no thanks, the cost is too much. Jesus says to Peter and his brother Andrew, come follow me and here's what's gonna happen as you do. I'm gonna transform you. And, and that is in the language under here that I'll, I'll open up for you. But Jesus says, I'm gonna transform you. And Peter, you've always thought of yourself as a fisherman. Well, guess what? You're right, you are a fisherman, but I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Uh, you're going to be who you thought you were, but if you follow me as you follow me, I'm going to take it to a whole other level. Your identity, your gifts, 
aren't just gonna be about pulling up nets of fish out of a lake. There's gonna be a day in eternity when thousands of people run up to you and there's gonna be the greatest catch of your life and it's gonna be thousands of people, probably in Peter's case, millions now, who are there with God in heaven because of you, Peter, if you'll choose to follow me. This moment of decision. What does Peter decide? I just love the way Mark records it in Mark 1, verse 18, at once. They left their nets and they followed him. Peter and his brother Andrew, uh, God has apparently been working in their hearts and with their free will, they see Jesus, they've heard about Jesus, they're familiar and they don't even hesitate, I love it. I mean, that's Peter's strength and weakness, right? He doesn't hesitate, he's impulsive, that'll get him in trouble later but in this moment, it's a great strength. Just at once, like boom, family business, family trade, everything. Jesus, if that's what you say, I'll do it. Now, Jesus doesn't say that to most of the people who followed him. He didn't ask most of the people to leave their careers, but he did for 12 of them, and Peter and Andrew do. Here's the thing, following Jesus, it will cost you something. If you're waking up every day, you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and it's never costing you anything, you're probably not following him quite as much as you think you are. Now, some Christians can twist this and they can become almost like masochistic about it, right? Like, oh, following Jesus is the path of suffering. If you're not depressed and discouraged, you're not actually following him. That's not at all what I'm saying. We're not going down that road, okay? That's actually a weird form of like broken religious legalism where people, you know, people have a way of making their emotions God, and immature Christians can do it in the sense of being like, oh, if I'm not feeling good, then God's not with me. But sometimes Christians who really know the Bible can make their emotions God and be like, oh, if you're not as depressed and discouraged as I am, then you must not love Jesus as much as I do, okay? Those are two dangers you gotta watch out for. Another danger is, is sometimes people make a God of the system for following Jesus. Right, like this church was started in 1837. At one point, this church had what was called Sunday school classes. That was the system. Right now, our primary system is our small groups, and those groups meet with men's groups, women's groups, couples who meet together. That's our, our system right now, but it's all about following Jesus. And so people can, can get off the road on these various ways, and that's part of why we need each other, is to say, hey, brother, I gotta remind you. You know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I've come that you might have life to the full. Like, being spiritual doesn't mean you have to be depressed. But over here, younger believer, the fact that you're depressed doesn't mean you're not spiritual. Doesn't mean God's not with you. You know, we'll go through these ups and downs emotionally no matter what happens in life. Even if we were atheists, we'd go through ups and downs. But following Jesus says, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you in the downs when I feel like you're not with me, and I'm gonna follow you in the ups when it's like, whoa, boom, promotion, windfall, life's great, I'm healthy, I'm still gonna follow you. And as you do that, there will be a cost in the sense of the spirit of God through the word of God and the community of God will at times reveal you need to let go of this thing. You need to let God work on the heater in this area. And so there's a cost, but when you, when you give that up, like Peter dropped his nets, that's when you gain. And I think there's a lot of believers in Jesus who've stopped following Jesus, and as a result, they're giving up gains that they could be experiencing 
in their spirit, in their outlook, in their fruitfulness, in their relationships. Yeah, I mean, we know this from other domains of life that no pain, no gain. And so the focus here isn't on the pain, but it's saying kind of, you know, when's the last time you gave something up so you could obey God? And if it was like years ago or never, you might not be following quite as close to him as you think. And my heart in this message and in these next three weeks is not to shame you or beat you over the head, but to say, hey, God wants to work in your life. He wants to fix the heat in the areas of your life where the heat's broken. How does that happen? You just follow Jesus. You, you just do what he says. I know that sounds really simple. It actually is really simple. It just gets hard when it's like, oh, Jesus says um, to give some of my money back to him. Eee, you know. Or Jesus says to be honest with my spouse about what's going on. Okay, that's gonna cost me. Or Jesus says to get in a small group with other believers. I don't really like people. I'm an introvert, right? The cost... The cost is there when you're listening, when you're obeying, and the great thing about the way God works is I don't have to identify that area for you because the Holy Spirit's doing it right now or he'll do it as we keep going through the word. But here's what Jesus says, same gospel of Mark, chapter eight. Jesus calls to the crowd. At this point, Jesus is doing miracles. Everyone knows like, wow, if you're hungry, go to Jesus. He'll make food appear. If you're you know, sick, go to Jesus. Everyone wants to use Jesus for their benefit. And they're all gathering around, thousands of them. And Jesus says to this whole crowd, he says, hey, join Peter and Andrew. Join James and John. Join these guys who are walking around with me from town to town. Because if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You have to deny yourself. In other words, the areas of your life where there's pain, where the heat's not on, if you want to see me fix those, you've got to let me open up the panel. And if you will just do what I say in that area, that's when you're going to experience me. Take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. This is trust proven through action. Now, we all know this as parents, especially those of us who have elementary-age kids, if our kids just did whatever they wanted, they would kind of destroy themselves, right? They'd be on a like Skittles and sugar binge on device time all day long. They wouldn't sleep. They would, I mean, it'd be a mess. Every great teacher in this room knows that for sure, as well as all our parents and grandparents. And so it's love when a parent says, hey, you can't just do what you want to do. I'm telling you this because I love you. Well, here's the Father, your Father in heaven, God, sending the second part of the Trinity, Jesus, to be the Son of God, fully human, fully man. And he more or less says, do you want God's way of life? Then there's times that you can't eat as much sugar as you want. There's times that you can't be on device time as long as you want. You've gotta deny yourself in some areas. Take up your cross, crucify the parts of you that are immature or the parts of you that are outright evil or broken and give them to me, I will raise those areas of your life back to life in a new and in a better way. Well, speaking of kids, my elementary kids love this TV show that we found called Restored with the Fords. I think it's on HGTV. It's a pretty classic HGTV type show where they find a house that's kind of dilapidated. Now, in this case, it's a brother and a sister 
they've got great personalities, and they'll get contacted by people who live near them, and they come in and they restore the house. Uh, my kids love it, and Mel and I really enjoy watching it as well. Uh, here's one example of a room before the Fords came in. And I want you to just slow down for a minute here and think again about that heater technician coming in. And if I wanted him to fix the heat, I had to hands off, right? Same thing with this kind of stuff. You'll see sometimes the Fords will come in and maybe people have been kind of trying to redo the room on their own and it's not their gift, you know? And the Fords come in and they, that person has to be like, okay, I'm, I'm, here's the keys to the house. We're leaving for two months, and we just trust you. We trust you for when we come back. Here's the kind of renovation that the Fords do. That's the same room before and now after. Definitely a little better after. Way better. Now, here's the question. Are you letting God restore in your life? The way you see the world, the way you handle your problems, the way you relate to your spouse, and I'm not here to shame you guys, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm as human as any of you. There's still so many areas of my life where it's like, yeah, that area <laughs> needs a renovation. If you wanna see God do his work, you've gotta just do what he says in that area. Now, I love the Ford's TV show, so I'm, I'm not uh, poking at it here, but here's what's comical to me about it. I've often said this to Mel. Uh, when they come in, they always do one room or two rooms, like the kitchen and the dining room, or if it's a two-story house, they might do the first floor, but they never do the whole house. They never do the outside, or if it's a two-story, they never do the upstairs. And I often kind of poke Mel while we're watching. I'm like, man, that house was like so kind of beat up, and then they came in, and now there's these two rooms that are like glamorous. It's gotta be so weird when they have friends or family over that it just, it just doesn't match, you know? It's like, well, which one is it? Is it old? Or is it new? And here's the thing, as you follow Jesus, your life should actually start to look like that. Your life, I mean, Peter, when he was 60 and writing that final letter, Second Peter, he's still growing. There's still areas that are changing, but a lot of it was changed at that point. But we are this work in progress, and some of us, the progress has completely stopped and stalled. Others of us, maybe you've just gotten discouraged because the progress isn't happening as fast as you'd like. Here's where I want to encourage you. You experience Jesus when you follow Jesus. That is just obey him where he's working in your life today. Right, that first day when Jesus came to Peter and his brother Andrew, it was just drop your nets and follow me. That was it. That was their step of growth for that day. There'd be a lot of other steps in the next three years for Peter, and then a lot of others in the 30 beyond that. And, and Jesus says, you experience me when you follow me, and as we follow him, it does renovate us, it does transform us. And I think God brought someone here today because you're like, God, my kitchen, I really, really want you to work in the kitchen. Give me a beautiful kitchen. And he's like, yeah, but your heater, you, like, trust me, you need the heater more than you need the kitchen. Just trust me. And you're like, but God, over here, give me this thing. This is what I need. And he's like, nope, you need heat. And so just obey him wherever he is at work. 
And here's my question. Have you ever decided for yourself definitively to say, I will follow Jesus in my life? Not just I believe in him for my salvation, but I will follow him. And when it gets hard, when it costs me, when it's painful, when I want new countertops and he's downstairs fiddling with the heater, I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna obey him. Peter made that choice, and we know from Peter's life, Peter waffled and wavered, (laughs) messed up. But what Peter does right is he would always get back up and kind of recommit to that. Have you ever committed to that? Just saying, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. Well, I want you to think of your life as the floor plan of a house. Here's a house where you've got the family room and the dining and the living room, the kitchen's here. I just want you to think of your life like that, the different rooms. In fact, I put some emojis up here on your house floor plan for you, right? You've got your heart your desires, your loves, your passions. You've got your time. Uh, You've got your body, your temple. You've got your words and you've got your thoughts. You've got your relationships, your money. There's more to life than this, but that sums up a lot of the stuff we care about, doesn't it? Here's the question. What area of your life do you wanna see God restore? What area of your life are you most feeling the pain of? You're like, this area is just really broken. That's the area where you start following Jesus or where you can most experience him. And you guys will hear this often in our hosting moments. We're saying it all the time, but we say it because we love you. We've got groups for what you're going through. If you're going through uh, military PTSD, if you're going through addiction, if you're going through the loss of a loved one, if you're like, hey, I'm not going through a crisis, but I just, here I live in, you know, kind of suburban Indianapolis area, and I want to grow and follow Jesus, we've got a group for that. You want to run and get in shape, we've got a group for that. We've got a group for you. Um, but your choice is to say, like, will you step out and follow Jesus? Growing in Jesus is a community activity. It's personal. Peter had to decide for himself. But remember, Jesus came to Peter and Andrew. And then he's going to go to James and John. And there is this group component. And so you hear us say it a lot, but if you're not in a group, if you don't have people who kind of know your name, they know your struggles, they're praying for you, and you're praying for them. And if they end up in the hospital or you do, the group comes around to say, hey, we're gonna help your family with meals. We're gonna pick your kids up from school. This is what happens in our groups. If you don't have that kind of group, text the word connect to us. You can do this anytime, anywhere. Or you can always go to our connection corner on your way out. I say that because a lot of times in my life, that's how God works on a room in my life. It's a both and. There's a very personal part of it that I've got to obey. But then he uses the people around me. Every year through our Financial Peace University, which is a group for people where finances are the pain point in life, We see dozens of families, sometimes as many as 100 families in a year, come through and start paying off their debt, cutting up credit cards, getting their budget in order. There's families in this church who their financial picture has gone from completely broken to the very opposite of that from this financial piece. What is that? That's just one of our groups where you say, okay, where my life, where the heat is out, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna step out 
It's uncomfortable. I'm going to follow Jesus in that area. And that's just people doing what God says in that area. Well, I want to show you now something maybe unexpected in the Gospels. Because you kind of know the end of the story with Peter. Jesus says, follow me, and he does. And he becomes the foundation of the New Testament church and Christianity. Did you know Jesus gave the same invitation to another person and the person didn't choose to follow Jesus? It's really interesting. Here's how the story goes. It starts in Mark 10. And what's interesting about this guy is that he actually seeks Jesus out. It's almost like that person who they come to church, but then one day they hear something from the word of God that's too uncomfortable and they give up. That's what happens to this guy. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. So this guy's got a lot of stuff right. He's acknowledging that Jesus is God. He's even bowing before him. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, it's going to come out as Jesus interacts with this guy, and probably the crowd knew from the way he was dressed that he's very, very wealthy, very rich in material goods. And this guy's almost like, well, I've got everything I could want in this life. I want to make sure I'm set for the next life too, right? It's kind of a self-serving motive, and I love how verse 21 puts it. Jesus looked at him and loved him you know sometimes as you work with people you can just get a sense of like oh this person's just trying to work me this person's trying to manipulate me sometimes we see it in our kids right and jesus knows as this guy runs up and bows down oh teacher you know uh, how do i inherit eternal life all this guy wants is to get from me and i love the heart the nature the character of god that jesus looked at him and he loved him Uh, By the way, just noticing this now, back in Mark 1, it says Jesus saw Peter. Now Jesus looks at this guy. Do you know that Jesus is looking at you in your life? You know that he sees you and then he speaks to you through times like this and through his word and then it's your moment to respond. How are you gonna respond to God when he sees you and he speaks to you? This guy ran to Jesus. Jesus loves him. And he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you're gonna have exactly what you asked me for. You want a bunch of treasure in the next life? Well, here's how you get it. And then you're gonna notice these words, come, follow me. Exact same words that Jesus said to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. This guy could have been one of those disciples, I believe. Jesus gives him that invitation Come follow me. Now, just like most of us, we don't have physical fishing nets that we have to drop to follow Jesus. Most of us aren't in a position to sell everything we have to follow Jesus. These are very specific commands. But the point is, they were costly commands, and there will be costly commands in our life. Now, sadly, this guy doesn't respond like Peter. I look at verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, Jesus, I mean, if following you is gonna cost me all this stuff I've worked so hard for, ah, nah, not worth it. And he misses it, right? We don't know this guy's name. We're not gonna meet this guy in heaven probably. I mean, this, this is um, a totally different story than Peter's. 
And it all came down to this one moment. Now, the great thing that Peter experienced and that we do is that God often, he'll, he'll return to you again. He'll give you another moment, right? You say no, he'll come to you again. But there's a scripture, and I won't go there because I don't want to get in a big, deep theological thing that more or less says, don't tempt your fate with God. He'll keep coming back and knocking on the door so many times. But if you just keep telling him no, 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 over and over again, eventually he'll say, okay, you don't want me? Fine. More or less the gist of Romans chapter one if you wanna read the whole thing in your life application study Bible. So who knows? Maybe this guy later after Jesus rose from the dead, maybe we do meet him in heaven. I don't know. What I do know is he completely missed out on the miraculous, on transformation. This rich young ruler, he saw life through the lens of it's all about getting more assets, more treasures for myself. And so when he sees Jesus, that's all he can see. Good for him that he fears God and he knows there's an eternal life. But in his mind, it's all about how do I, I'm rich here, I wanna be rich there. How do I get? It's about me. And what Jesus sees in that moment is this guy doesn't need more wealth. This guy needs a heart transformation. And because Jesus loves him, he says, here's your step to heart transformation but the guy refuses, he misses out. And so he never really gets to experience becoming like Jesus, having Jesus wash his feet, watching Jesus raise a person from the dead. He misses out on all of that. And now here's where, you know, there's a, there's a tension in the Christian life. Because some churches can get so focused on if you're not doing and growing and following, then you're probably not actually saved. And it becomes this works-based salvation and it becomes this heavy load, which again is not Jesus' way. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But you get the other extreme over here where it's like, hey, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So our works don't matter at all. Well, it's true that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, but... It's not true that our works don't matter at all because the very next verse, right after it says you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, why? Because you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So if we're really following Jesus, there is this middle road where we're not doing good things or obeying God because we're afraid of losing our salvation or we feel like we have to earn his approval that's over there, but we're also not in this lazy place of just being like, well, Jesus died on the cross, it's a free gift, so just like on with my life. But I just add Christian on my interests on Facebook. This, this middle road, this true road of following Jesus is I'm saved not because of what I did, but because of his love. But because I really grasp his love and I really believe in who he is, when he says sell something, I sell it. When he says do something, I do it. If he says jump, I jump. Now. Do, do any of us on this kind of middle road of saying, I'm not saved by myself, but by Jesus, but I'm following him, do any of us do it perfectly? The answer's a hard no. I guarantee you none of us do it perfectly. So don't beat yourself up when you mess up. That's why it's great that Peter's our example here. <laughs> Peter's a fantastic mess up. He is, right? You remember the story. I'll just summarize if you don't know it. Peter tells Jesus right before Jesus gets crucified, I'm your guy, Jesus. I got your back. I will never, never abandon you. If all your followers leave you, I'm there for you, Jesus. And then Jesus, uh, a, a mob drags him out and they're starting to beat him and Peter's around a campfire and there's a teenage girl, a teenager, a servant girl. And she says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter starts swearing up a storm like a sailor. He says, I don't even know the guy. 
How dare you say that I even know him? I don't, I don't even, you know how when someone gets caught, right? And they're, they're not just like, no, it wasn't me. They're like way overdo it. And it's so obvious that they're lying. That's Peter saying, I have nothing to do with Jesus. Totally messes up. In fact, week three of this little series, we'll look at the moment after Jesus dies and rises again. Peter didn't just mess up then. Jesus finds Peter back with his fishing nets. But he's gonna find him there. We'll get there in the series. But let's celebrate that Peter, who messes up like we do, always had times when he would return back to Jesus and say, okay, I, I will follow you. And so maybe God brought one of you here today because it's just like, hey, you've followed me in the past. You know it's the better way. You know I love you. Come on, it's time to start following again. Time to start doing this again. Time to be intentional again. Time to get back to Mark 1.18. At once they left their nets and followed him. What a great contrast from that rich young ruler to Peter. Following Jesus means leaving some things behind. Again, the focus isn't on the things we leave behind because those aren't our God. The focus is on God and just, God, I'm gonna follow you no matter what. So a question for you. Is there anything in your life that you're not willing to leave to follow Jesus? That's a hard question, right? Of course there is. Of course there is. And as you grow, it's so interesting, that first day that Jesus sees Peter as a teenager at the lake fishing, he doesn't say, hey, Peter, drop your nets. I'm gonna ask you to be crucified upside down, tortured, and live a life of the highest highs and lowest lows, so follow me. Right, Peter would work his way up to that. And by the time he's in his 60s, he'd be willing when he gets crucified by a mob to say, hey, I'm not worthy of dying the same way Jesus did. And so in their twisted minds, they say, okay, we'll, we'll turn your cross upside down for you. But how did Peter get there? Talk about, you must take up your cross and follow me. How did he get there? It, it started, it was just one act of obedience at a time. It's like an Olympic athlete, right? They don't just wake up one day and be like, I'm gonna be an Olympic athlete. They train, they obey day after day after day. It might be that the thing you're not willing to follow Jesus on, today you're just like, that's too much. Just obey him where he's talking right now, okay? And I'll give you an example of this from, from my life. And I'm like Peter, okay? I could give you a lot more fail examples than success examples. <laughs> but I'll give you one time that I got it right. Uh, when I really became a follower of Jesus was in my 20s and I was working as a journalist and um, I started to go to seminary and I started to teach the Bible in my small group. Again, this is why small groups matter so much. You will find your spiritual gift as you serve the other people in your small group. And I realized, oh, God's given me this kind of gift for opening up his word. And, and uh, then God called me to leave my career and be a pastor. So please don't hear in that that you have to be a pastor to follow Jesus, because you don't. <laughs> if, if all of us were pastors, we'd be in big trouble, okay? But that was a specific call that God did give to me, just like he said to Peter, drop your nets. And so at age 26, I walked away from a, a pretty good job, great salary, health benefits, retirement, all that, and went to be the pastor of a church of 40 people. Uh, in this church, a lot of months, it was like, I, am I gonna get a paycheck? Will there be a paycheck? There was no health insurance. It was, it was, there was a cost to it. I don't say that like I'm some noble person because my life's way better for it. But there was a test that God allowed me to go through right after I got up there. 
Melanie and I were about two or three months into serving that congregation of 40 people. Things were real tight financially. We'd been making sacrifices. And I get this email from an old journalism colleague. And he says, hey, John, um, I want to invite you to come be a Knight Wallace reporting fellow. That probably sounds like, what in the world does that mean? What it meant was, um, you go to the University of Michigan, they've got this really cool old house on the campus, it's a journalism fellowship, and you just live there for nine months, and you write whatever you wanna write, and for the nine months that you're there, you get a $75,000 stipend to cover the nine months. You have no costs of food or lodging or anything, you just get $75,000 and nine months to write whatever you want. Well, this was to someone who, in my late teens, early 20s, said my life goal is to publish my first book by age 30. That was like my life goal. And then I had given up writing to be a pastor, and then three months in, this offer comes. Now, this offer is not bad. I hope there's a lot of Christians who do this, and I hope there's a lot of Christians in journalism. The point is God had a call on my life, and he had told me how to obey and follow him, specific to me. And there was this moment from the Holy Spirit as I read this email and looked at what it was. I was like, wow, that would be amazing, but there's no way the church, the church was about to die anyway. I can't just leave for nine months. There's no way. And as I had to choose in myself to say, will I die to myself, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind a verse. There's a verse where Jesus said, whoever puts their hand to the plow, like the physical old plows that they had in Jesus' day, you gotta look ahead to keep your row straight. He said, whoever puts their hand to the plow and looks back, like, ooh, what am I missing out on? And you start to swerve. He says, whoever puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. And in that moment, it was for me this moment of saying, the thing I most want in life, will I die to that? Now, of course, God's great irony is my fifth book just came out a couple weeks ago, right? But Jesus, remember, Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus said, drop your nets. I'm gonna make you into a whole different type of fisherman, right? I thought, oh, I'm a writer. I love ideas. I love communicating, and I'm gonna go out there and be a national award-winning journalist, and Jesus said, die to that. I've got way more important ideas for you to be communicating. I've got a way better life for you. Now, if I had not denied myself in that moment, I said, ah, forget this being a pastor thing. It is way too hard. I'm just gonna go be a writer again. Would I still be saved? Yes, I believe so. Would I still be going to heaven? Yes, I believe so, absolutely. Would I have missed out on seeing God do miracles in me and through me? Absolutely. Would there be thousands of people who wouldn't be in heaven because I didn't follow? Only God knows, but if they would have been in heaven, it wouldn't have been on my watch, and there's thousands of people who will be because I was willing to deny myself. Now, I hope you don't get lost or hung up on any of the details of that because most of you probably don't dream to write a book or that kind of, but I hope you get in that story the gist of just saying, hey, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what. And once you make a calling in my life clear, I'm gonna obey you. And when it starts to cost me, I'm not gonna doubt it. I'm gonna remind myself, this is normal. It should be costing me. Following Jesus means becoming more like him by being shaped like him. I'm just gonna walk you real quick through this idea in Mark 1:17. Jesus says, come follow me, I'll send you out. 
I told you I'd walk you through these Greek words, so I'm gonna do it real fast. Jesus says, come follow me. And I just wanna give you the sense, this word come is literally the idea of huddle up. Uh, my high school soccer coach, when we were all practiced on the field, he'd say, bring it in. So it's this idea of Jesus says, come listen to me. You've got an area of your life that you care about, you've got a dream or you've got a burden, come listen to me about it. And then follow behind me, do what I say about it. It's very much like what we see in an NFL or college or high school football game when the quarterback calls the huddle and he says, everyone in, now do the play that I say. That's, that's all it is, is you say, Jesus, I'm listening to you in my marriage, in my finances, in my emotions. I'm listening to you, I'm gonna do what you say. And then look at this, Jesus says, I will make you become. Some of the English translations miss this, but these are the literal Greek words. I will make, I will shape or form you. So you don't have to make yourself. You come to Jesus, you obey him, and he shapes you. And then you're going to become, there will be a process of time. And what you're gonna become is some of your old passion and identity, for me, like writing and ideas and communicating, for Peter fishing, for you, whatever that is, I'm gonna take that, but I'm gonna take it to a whole other level, a kingdom level. And you're gonna do this for the most valuable thing in all creation, People. People are what matters to God, and God wants to use you to reach people. Well, let me close with this verse from 2 Peter 3. We looked at Peter as an old guy, and at the very beginning of his final letter, he says, you have everything necessary for life and godliness. How do you unlock it? How do you plug into it? It's by knowing Jesus. It's by following Jesus. And then toward the end of that same letter, he's gonna say this, but grow in the grace and the knowledge, no gnosis, experiencing Jesus. So Peter's saying, keep growing. Never stop growing. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years or for 30 minutes, keep growing. How do you keep growing? You keep following, you keep obeying. Well, we're gonna have some baptisms here in a moment, and if you have believed in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, that is your next step in following him. It's one of the early steps that he gives us where we get to see a physical movement by our body express what's happening in our heart. So if you've never been baptized for yourself, not your parents baptizing you because they said to, but you said, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I'm stepping out to be baptized, You've gotta do that at some point. We're gonna have those right here in just a moment. If you wanna join those who are being baptized, then when we stand up, why don't you guys stand up right now? I'm about to close us in prayer. And you can just make your way over to that exit sign and we would love to baptize you today into Jesus as you keep following Jesus. Uh, but here's my question. Will you follow him where he's at work in your life? Where the heat is out You've called out to him, you're here. Will you let him remove the panels? Will you let him do his work? I'm gonna pray right now and just help you make that choice, whether it's being baptized, getting in a group, or something else that the Holy Spirit revealed to you in our time. Father, uh, we just thank you that you see us. You saw Peter fumbling with the nets on the seashore. You saw the rich young ruler and you loved him. You see us and you love us. And today you say to us, come follow me. 
I wanna work in you and do things you could never do for yourself. I wanna work through you and do things you could never imagine. I'm working all around you and I don't want you to miss out. And so Lord, I just pray in this room today, give us hearts like young Simon Peter that at once we would drop our nets and follow you. Holy Spirit, right now we just invite you to search the hallways of our hearts and our lives. Every passageway in the house that is us, we give you permission, we give you the keys. We don't just want one or two restored rooms, we want a full restoration, Lord. We trust your hands. We trust you when it hurts. We trust you when there's a cost. Jesus, we will deny ourselves. We're choosing that today. We will take up our cross and we will follow you. And Lord, I, I know there's some people in here who've believed in you and they're following you today is literally walking over to that baptismal area to say, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I will be publicly identified as one of his followers. Lord, show us even as we celebrate now together and we just clap and applaud those who are following you in baptism, would your spirit just continue to work in our minds and hearts? Show us our next step. Every one of us has a next step to grow in the knowledge of you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.